to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Christina Knight. Christina brings over 10 years of experience in the capital markets, having most recently worked as Senior Investment Analyst with Portfolio Management Responsibilities at Longfellow Investment Management Company. She's also currently at ACRIS, where she Christina focuses on deal underwriting and asset management for their portfolio. She's also passionate about empowering women and in 2019 founded the Women Real Estate Networking Group in Boulder, Colorado, to contribute to the community. So we're really happy to have you on the show, Christina, and thank you so much for making the time today. I know we're talking a little bit, your schedule is really packed right now, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here and hopefully share some good knowledge. We'll see. (laughs) Thank you. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and if you can share just, you know, how you got started in real estate. I think that would be great. Sure. So my background wasn't always in real estate. I worked in finance, particularly investment management for a little over 10 years. And in that role, I mean, I did a number of things like trading and portfolio management, but I always focused on the housing market. And I looked a lot at mortgage investments and I ran our mortgage portfolio. So was kind of related to real estate, but you know, not really. And then essentially... I got into real estate kind of by accident. I bought a condo in Boston in 2014 and bought it with the idea of renting it out eventually and kind of making some income off of that. And then when I left my corporate job, you know, a few years after that, I was traveling and renting out the condo and making a pretty decent amount of passive income every month. And it was just kind of like this aha moment, you know, like, wow, like if, I could do this like 10 more times, like I wouldn't have to go back to like working in the corporate world. So that was kind of the impetus for getting into real estate and just a little bit about my background. So I left finance mostly because unfulfilled and I knew I wanted to do my own thing. I wasn't exactly sure what that was or what that looked like. And then I was having a brainstorming session with my business partner. And, you know, we were kind of determining like what we want to do. And we were both like, well, we both own real estate. We've been in finance. I understand kind of the ins and outs of the housing market and the real estate market. You know, why don't we look further into this? And so that's how that all got started. And then, so we founded Acris Capital, which is our company about three years ago. And, you know, I've been kind of investing in real estate ever since. So. Oh, wow. That's really great. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. When you guys decided to found Acris, you know, what was kind of the, I guess, motivation behind that? And what did you guys do initially? Yeah. So the motivation behind that was I am a travel junkie. Like I absolutely love traveling and I wanted to just figure out ways that I could have more freedom in my life and be able to travel and be where, you know, I wanted to be and work from wherever I wanted to work. And so, That was kind of the basis for starting Acris was generating freedom and like passive income in our lives. And, you know, that's what we're all about. It's like showing people that there is like an alternative, you know, you can 
kind of get out of that corporate world and, you know, have more freedom in your lives, whether it's time with your family or your kids or traveling or the things that are important to you, but just realizing that there's other options and, you know, working in finance, I never had any freedom. It was, you know, I was lucky if I could take a week off a year and, you know, there was very specific times you could take off and it was very set, couldn't even work from home or work remotely or anything. So. And so right now your focus at Acres is primarily asset management and the underwriting. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that, if that's all right with you. Sure. So for the asset management piece, can you talk a little bit about, you know, KPIs that you guys utilize and then what are you looking for in terms of like, you know, communication with your other team members and making sure that, you know, the business plan is being followed? Yeah. So I run all of our asset management. It can sometimes be kind of a lot. So when you're an asset manager and overseeing a portfolio, you're juggling like a lot of different balls. So I would say the first thing is having a really good system for keeping track of everything. And I do that with, I have tons of reminders in my calendar for like dates of when things should be, you know, paid and checked in on and followed up on. And then I have a running, you know, list of our KPIs that I go over with our property manager every week. And, you know, what that looks like is, you know, what's our occupancy rate? How many leases do we have coming up for renewal? You know, what are we increasing rents to? What's our collections for the month? And really going through kind of all of those metrics on a weekly basis with the property manager to ensure that, you know, they're on top of everything. If you're in the middle of a business plan and stabilizing a property, you know, that looks like you know, seeing if you're on budget and how many, you know, unit turns you have and, you know, how much they've spent versus like what you've allotted for that construction project. So that's a little bit of a different beast. And then kind of once the building's stabilized, checking all the other, you know, where is the leases that you're signing coming from? You know, what's our most successful marketing source right now and kind of honing in on all of that data. You know, I am a big believer in one to two depending on the property, phone calls with your property manager a week and really like, you know, staying on top of them. If you get to know your property manager and they're really on top of it, then you can kind of sometimes let those go to maybe like two times a month or, you know, depending on the size of the building. But yeah, especially in the beginning of a relationship with a property manager, you really need like constant contact and having like a call so that you set expectations and they know what they can expect of you. And so can you walk us through typically like through a phone call with a project manager, what would that typically kind of look like in the beginning when you're, you know, setting the relationship up and then in terms of expectations and everything? Yeah. So I have a pretty thorough checklist for how we interview and look at property managers. And, you know, before we get into any property management relationship, you're asking them questions like, how quick is your response? How often are you willing to have conversations with me? Are you willing to do this level of reporting for me if you have specific reporting requests? And then, you know, setting those expectations and letting them know, like, listen, you're my most valued team member, right? Like my business plan doesn't work unless like, I have a really strong property manager in place and letting them know, like, I really value this relationship. I don't take this lightly. I think that, you know, I want to like see us grow together and do more business together because if you're successful and I'm successful, then we are both more successful. Right. 
So really setting those expectations up front, setting a process for your weekly meeting with them up front and what that looks like. And, you know, letting them know the things that you're going to want to track and like be on top of so that at that weekly meeting, they can come prepared. So, you know, talking about how many units are coming up for lease, how many units are for pre-lease, how many, you know, applications they received this week, what are our current rents at? You know, do we need to lower those rents or increase them, you know, if we're getting too few applications or too many applications? So, you know, those are the kind of things on a weekly basis to really talk with them about. And so what happens, you know, if things aren't kind of going according to the business plan and things are, you know, you're kind of noticing a little bit of a trend, what are some of the ways that you hedge against that? Yeah. So whenever you're in a market, you have to have at least three property managers that are lined up and ready to go that you would feel comfortable working with if one doesn't work out. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is kind of giving property managers like, you have a gut feeling that something's not going on the right path, giving them, you know, second, third, fourth, you know, maybe second's okay, but third, fourth, fifth chances to correct things. And if you're not seeing any improvement after, you know, kind of those initial conversations about things that are going wrong or that you want to see, not being hesitant to fire the property manager, right? So not being scared to kind of pull that trigger and put new management in place because the manager does make all the difference in, you know, your property and how it's run. So we learned that lesson the hard way when we first started out. When we first got into this, we hired a property manager who was growing pretty significantly and they weren't able to meet like the demands that we wanted. And, you know, our properties were taking forever to get leased up. And it was like every week they had the same kind of excuse or story or reason, or they couldn't keep their leasing agents, like they had to keep hiring new ones. And, you know, we wanted them to work out so bad, it took us, you know, quite a while to fire them. And then, I mean, we eventually did. But I think, you know, that's the major lesson learned there, we should have probably pulled the trigger on that much sooner when the writing was on the wall. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Oh, no, I think that's great that you mentioned, you know, making sure that you have other backups in place just Mm -hmm. in case one doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't stop your operations, you're able to fall back on somebody else to, you know, pick up wherever they left off. You know, the current environment and with COVID and everything like that, that has been going on, has it been a little bit difficult? Or have you seen any challenges with with the capital improvement schedules or anything like that? Yeah, so definitely, you know, I think just on unit turns, they've been a little bit slower. You know, if you have kind of surprise unit turns due to COVID and tenants, you know, leave or, you know, move out early, which has happened to us with a couple of units. But 
sometimes right now, like you're seeing a lot of contractors that are very booked up. You know, we had carpet installed in one of our units and just the installation timeline to get new carpet in was three weeks. So I think just, you know, realizing that things are going to take longer right now and building that into your underwriting in terms of what, you know, actually like, you know, how long your unit's going to be vacant for is really important. And so you mentioned underwriting and making sure that you bake in any unforeseeable events happening on what is kind of like a rule of thumb that you use in terms of establishing a reserves bucket? Yeah. So monetarily wise for reserves depends on the vintage of the building, right? So if you're a newer building, you're going to not need as much in reserves, say maybe like 150 or $200 a unit. But if it's an older building where you could foresee a lot of potential issues with the plumbing or the electrical or the heating, you know, I like to have reserves of at least 500 to $700 a unit, depending on, you know, the age and what shape the building's in. And also for, you know, again, with the COVID, what kinds of uh, conservatisms are you baking into your modeling now and for the foreseeable future? Yeah, so great question. I think back to kind of the timeline on things and turning units and having, you know, the supply chain a little bit slower and people booked for jobs, you know, they're way backed up. I think having a slightly higher vacancy than you know, you would normally have is really important, right? So your units are going to be vacant for longer. It's going to take them longer to turn. You know, right now with COVID, it can be a higher than normal vacancy rate. So we're generally like increasing our normal vacancy numbers right now by around 5% just to build in that extra cushion for at least kind of the next, I would say 12 months or so. Another thing we're doing is just being really cautious on our rent increases over the next 12 months, depending on the market that we're looking at. So what, you know, keeping that at a pretty slow to no growth in rents. And so as you're doing your underwriting for a new potential opportunity, what are some of the red flags that you look out for when doing your underwriting? So, I mean, a big one is obviously vacancy and, you know, looking at kind of the occupancy of the building, you know, and how has that been trending over the last six months, and then pulling the accounts receivable and collections report for those properties to see kind of has, you know, one has collections gone down, have they written off any bad debt that, you know, you're not seeing, sometimes those line items can be kind of hidden. So just really trying to get an idea of what's happening with the property from, you know, the tenant base and you know, are people paying? Are people behind? You know, how much is delinquent? You know, how much is going to end up being written off? And what are you like walking into taking over a property like that? I think those can kind of be some hidden red flags. Other red flags are really looking for increases in property taxes and insurance. I think that's a big miss that people don't think about a lot is the huge jump in property taxes. So when you're taking over a building and you know, maybe the owner is only paying property taxes on a million dollars, but he's trying to sell it for three, you know, your property taxes could triple. So really baking that into your underwriting as well. That makes sense. And so then for those red flags, what kind of uh, suggestions would you do in order to, you know, making sure that you address those? Yeah. So 
I mean, I would just actually go to the county tax assessor website and look at how taxes have increased over time and look at, you know, make sure you're looking at what the value of the property is being taxed at right now and, you know, increase that accordingly. For insurance, insurance costs have gone up substantially. So when you're underwriting, you can't just take the previous owner's insurance and use that amount. You have to get an actual quote from a broker on a property. And, you know, if the property has a vacancy rate of, you know, 5%, I would build an at least, you know, 8 to 10% for the first year while you're kind of transitioning that building and during this period. So there will be higher than higher turnover than you're expecting, generally speaking. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And so Christina, you're also, you know, passionate about helping women invest in real estate mm-hmm. and you founded a Women Real Estate Networking Group. And so what was the motivation behind that? And why are you so passionate about it? Yeah, so I feel like there aren't enough women in this space. And I get really excited by women who want to like buy real estate and take, you know, their own future into their hands and create that wealth for themselves. So I started the Women Real Estate Networking Group just so you know, women had an outlet to come together with other women and like talk about all the challenges in real estate and, you know, support each other. I was tired of going to meetups that were like only men and like finding no other women in the room and like not really understanding why, because I know we're out there. So, you know, it's been a great outlet and, you know, I do, we're about to launch a potential half day boot camp for women that are interested in learning more about real estate and how to get started. So that's something people can, you know, check out too, if they contact me. Oh, that's great. You know, like you kind of mentioned, it's a predominantly male dominated environment in real estate. And so it's great to have a network of other women who are trying to create like-minded things and having a venue to be able to connect Mm -hmm. with other women trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so Christina, what's your next focus? Yeah. So right now we're focused on making 2021 our biggest year yet. We're currently acquiring properties in the Southwest and in the Southeast in partnership. So, you know, looking at a couple different markets in Arizona and South Carolina. So that's kind of where focused right now. And Christina, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Oh my gosh. <laughs> how much time do I have now? It honestly, like the amount of freedom that I have in my life is totally different, right? I can, you know, choose the hours that I work. I can, you know, create my own future and my own path. I can build a lot more wealth and net worth than I was able to working for someone else. I get to spend more time with my husband and my friends and family. So, I mean, you know, just all of those good ways. What is one thing that you know about now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? That is a roller coaster ride. (laughs) And that it is not as easy as everyone makes it out to be. It is a lot of work. It's rewarding work, but it's, you know, a lot more work than you think. You know, it takes a lot to put deals together and to figure out how to finance them and create the business plan. It is like a mini business. So you know, each property is a mini business. So what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? Consistent action. So, you know, we're pretty like detailed about how we plan and goal plan and, 
you know, it's just taking action every single day and thinking about like what your goals are and what actions are going to help you get there and not giving up, you know, like when things don't go super easily, it's easy to just say, oh, uh, you know, this isn't for me. It's too much work and, you know, give up, but just keeping at it. And I think it goes back to, you know, with a lot of work and people don't see all this work that goes into it. And so it's easy to just give up. It can become overwhelming. Overwhelming. And just like, you're just like, oh my gosh. I mean, some of the things that you have to deal with sometimes in this business are insane. So <laughs> you're just like, why am I doing this? You know, then that, that moment passes, you know, after like a ceiling collapses and, you know, crazy <laughs> things go on. <laughs> no, it's a lot of fun, and but it is a lot of work. What tools or techniques have you used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? So we use Slack for our company, which I think is an amazing tool to like keep things organized. We use it with our partners. We use it with our team members. We use it with, you know, pretty much everyone. So it's really nice to kind of keep those conversations organized. In terms of like personal things, I think the biggest thing that's helped me like just be really focused in the last year is having like a miracle morning routine, right? As cliche as that sounds, and a lot of people are big fans of it, but it really does make a difference, like having that time to like read and meditate and, you know, goal plan and, you know, have a set things that you do every morning before kind of your day gets started. Oh, yes. Thank you for sharing and definitely appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all your experience and everything. And if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, Christina, and what you do, where can they go? Yeah, so they can go to our website, which is Acris, A-K-R-A-S, capital.com and contact me there. Or if you're interested in the women's group, it's Women's Real Estate Network on Meetup for Boulder, Colorado, but it's open nationwide. Or you can email me. My email is knight, K-N-I-G-H-T at acriscapital.com. Oh, thank you so much, Christina. Appreciated everything. And yeah, thank thanks. you so much for coming on the show. For sure. Anytime. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.